Hello, and welcome to the History Voyager. My name is Benjamin Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very, very much for listening to mine. This was a podcast. I honestly have no idea why I didn't release it um, sooner than this. Um, but it was a very interesting podcast to re-listen to. Uh, there are podcasts that I have in my archive, in my hard drive, that I can't uh, release yet for one reason or the other. Some of them, honestly, will never see the light of day. Uh, more than likely. And I was going through the podcast hard drive for other reasons, and I discovered this thing, and I, I basically threw it in the audacity and... I listened to it because I, why, why is this here? Why, why did I decide not to release this, as it were? And I honestly don't know. I, it was great. Um, I enjoyed it. This is with a Los Angelino, and he talks about uh, Los Angeles and some other stuff. And the 2008 uh, crash comes up yet again. That that was a Pretty much a seminal crash. I'm I'm believing in in the lives of uh, people. Uh, basically, at this point, middle-aged folks. Uh, some people were are just not going to financially recover. I don't even know if you can call it a recovery at this point. I think maybe it's a uh, sort of like generational situation where your your path goes a certain way because of uh, basically financial funniness in the housing market. Anyway, so that's I'm releasing this podcast out into the universe. He talks about uh, some, well, he refers to them as gangs in the L.A. Uh, Sheriff's Department. He mentions this very briefly. Um I did actually Google it. It is a thing, and I am going to leave the links below in the description. Uh, the links to what I have discovered below in the description. And uh, as always, you can can I guess read it or not. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to say hi, and um, it's it's come to my attention uh, lately that this podcast is uh, doing quite rather well in the rankings, and uh, thank you. And as always, um, thanks for the listening to the History Voyager. I This season sort of evolved into an oral history of our time. Um, I mentioned his name in another podcast I did, uh, with uh, Jeremy Katz, I had a professor in college who was, who's dead now, but he was the um, preeminent oral historian of the Southern Urban Experience. His name was Clifford Kuhn. Um, and every time I do one of these episodes, every time I release one of these episodes into the world for people to listen to, um, and I have listeners all over the world and that blows my mind in ways I can't even express to you adequately with 
simple little words in the English language. But every time I release one of these episodes into the world, I think of Dr. Kuhn and I think of his mission. His mission to talk to average normal people and to ask them how they're doing and what's up with their lives. And and some of his interviews um, that he did over a career, over a very, very long career, uh, to be to be quite honest, some of these um, episodes he did were, uh, I say episodes, interviews he did were were very um, stirring. They were very stirring and, and very interesting. And if you're in the Atlanta area, I highly recommend that you go to Georgia State University and you actually look at some of these oral history uh, transcripts and you can listen to them and you can read the transcript. Um, There's some of them that have stuck with me for years uh, in my head. Just some of them, some of what they were talking about. Anyway, um, so that's a little bit about why this episode exists. It exists because I was going through my hard drive looking for something else and I happened upon it. And I forgot, I guess, because I I listened to it and there's no, there's nothing that leaps out says, hey, no, this is a reason this episode can't exist on the internet where there's people. But hey, um, how you doing? Um, Enjoy. And I've also got uh, some episodes, I'm recording a couple episodes tomorrow, um, because it's Saturday, lots of people want to talk to me on, on Saturday, so, got some episodes coming out, um, probably soon after that, and there's one of those that I've been planning for quite a while, and I will talk a lot more about it, uh, in this space, that is the, the space that I tag, as this is the podcaster extraordinaire talking to his audience. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, uh, give this thing a listen. It's pretty good. It's a. Um, I would assume it was recorded in the winter of uh, 20. So sometime around uh, December, I would say. Um, so it's pretty old, um, as these files go, I have, uh, legit, I have no idea, I must have had, I must have just forgot or had some, some big, um, podcast or something, um, that I was releasing, but anyway, um, you guys enjoy, and, um, I'm going to go ahead and say he drops the F-bomb a couple of times. And if you're listening to this around uh, children, you might not want to do that. But other than that, I don't know why anybody listens to my podcast around kids, honestly. But, you know, such is life. Um, anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you and I'll uh, see you later. Okay, bye-bye. Hi everybody, my name is Ben Kitchings, you knew that. This is the History Voyager, and I'm here with uh, Jansen. Jansen, we And we're going to talk about Los Angeles 
and just like what it's about. And, and the reason I say that is because I, I keep uh, interviewing these people for my podcast and they keep bringing stuff up about L.A. that I just think is crazy. Not crazy is the wrong word. Uh, Fascinating. Okay, an example. There was a pod, there was a guest I had who said like the first day he rolled into L.A., he was on a bus and he saw this big fire out, out of like this city park. I forget the park, but big, big, big park. Griffith Park, maybe I'm not sure, mm. um, but like the whole like huge fire, and he was the only one on the bus that that noticed or or thought that was unusual or whatever. And I was like, I, I said even at the time, I wonder what a long time Angelino, uh, if you guys can remember, like was b- before that, like back before fires happened like that or whatever. I mean, even growing up, like we had fires pretty consistently. So, I mean, a fire isn't something you really kind of get worried about unless it's within your own neighborhood. Um, but yeah, for Griffith Park to be on fire just in the distance, turning your head, you're like, oh, yep, it's on fire again. It really doesn't affect your day-to-day life. And a lot of people that are on the bus commuting probably are concerned about their life, going to work or dealing just with their life in general, that a fire going on at Griffith Park isn't something to turn your head you know, towards and focus on. Is that is that because it just happens so much? You just you get blind to it, or yeah, or? <clears throat> yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, there's plenty of, uh, I mean, it, the current thing would probably be homelessness, where if you have never been to LA or never experienced uh, seeing homelessness in person, it would be absolutely just devastating to see for the first time. But here, you know, we experience it every day. You see something every day, a tent on the sidewalk. It's not something you really focus on anymore. As terrible as the plight of homelessness is you become so used to it. It's just a part of life. So fires were, you know, still are to an extent, just a part of life. There's a fire going on. Okay. Well, nothing really yeah. too weird about that. Unless it's something giant, like billowing and very close to downtown. If it's on the outskirts or if it's in Griffith park, anywhere with trees, it's like, yeah, you know, well, it's fire season. That happens. Okay. Well, that's something else. Like, um, a lot of my guests over and over again, they talk about how there used to be a fire season and now there's really not. Now it's just sort of all the time. Um, it's always fire season. Okay, okay. Always fire season. Um, one of my guests up in Seattle uh, area, he talked about, um, like, I mean, we have, I, I live in Metro Atlanta and we have homelessness here. And I've lived in downtown and I've seen it. You know, I've seen people experiencing homelessness and it runs the gamut from, you know, you have people experiencing a mental health care crisis to maybe these people just made some or got into some bad situations or whatever. But I had this guest from Seattle and he talked about, I mean, just basically like a camper city of people because the drugs are so easy to come by up there that people just move campers in and they just it's you know amsterdam sort of right so yeah so what's so describe to me the homeless problem in in la and when do you think that started i mean homelessness here is it's been around since as long as rose existed which has been you know uh, almost, if not more than 100 years. I don't know the exact timing, but Skid Row has always been kind of 
a focal point of homelessness. Uh, homelessness, you know, across the board, across the country has exploded. Like you said, Seattle, uh, you said it, you're in Atlanta. I know Denver and San Diego, Orange County, especially um, Santa Ana. They all have just uh, a huge amount of homeless people. Drugs are a factor. Here, though, we initially, um, when I was growing up, it was always almost exclusively Skid Row. I grew up in the Valley. The Valley was uh, suburbia. This was early 90s. It was very suburban, very um, detached from the city. It did not feel like a, a, a part of Los Angeles in the context that most people envision it, even though it is part of the city of Los Angeles. And homelessness was always kind of like part of Skid Row. There, there were some homeless people in Venice. Venice was kind of sketchy, but Venice was more... Um, it was a tougher neighborhood. It was more gangs that I believe were the issue. There was gangs and drugs, but it wasn't like, oh, stay away from Venice because, because there's homeless people. Nowadays, homelessness and homeless people are everywhere that Venice is another focal point because there are so many that congregate there and they congregate to Venice because it's a beach that is uh, monitored and uh, not technically owned, but it, it's part of the city of Los Angeles. Santa Monica is its own city. They have their own police. They have their own enforcement. They're a bit more efficient about what they uh, allow to have happen. So Venice kind of has a spillover because a lot of people that can't stay in Santa Monica just go south to Venice. Uh, if they're in Marina del Rey, which is unincorporated county territory, the sheriffs kind of push them aside because there's a lot of money in Marina del Rey. So they kind of get wedged into this area, which is Venice Beach. And in the past 10 years, past five especially, you start seeing homelessness everywhere across the city. You see it in the valley. You see it really just uh, piling up in certain places. Uh, again, Venice, if you go further inland towards like the Penmark golf course, there's an entire stretch of just SU, uh, RVs and buses. Some of them that have been burned out that have just caught fire and are just sitting there because the city doesn't want to spend the money to remove them. Uh, and it's just, it's got no point where, especially in Los Angeles, uh, where property is such a premium, it costs so much that even uh, people that aren't um, in on or aren't on drugs, aren't into drugs, aren't necessarily mentally incapacitated or having any sort of hardship at that end, they they can work full time and still can't afford to live within a lot of Los Angeles. So living out of your car has become kind of part of a lifestyle. But even then, we have a law outlawing living out of your car. That's a lot of outs and laws in the same sentence. We have laws that prevent you from living in your car but not technically living in a tent on the sidewalk outside of where your car is parked. So there's a lot of counterintuitive reasons as to why homelessness has become what it is in Los Angeles. But uh, it wouldn't, I wouldn't say people move here essentially to have access to drugs. Um, we do have a lot of people that move here because of the, the glorified vision of what Los Angeles is. Uh, you know, the old school Tinseltown, Silver Screen, I'm going to Hollywood which is a very, very marketed and polished up idea that I blame American Idol for kind of selling to a lot of the youth of America uh, the past 20 years. And now it's just, it's to a point where you can move out here and you really, you can't make, you aren't guaranteed a job. You aren't guaranteed income. You aren't guaranteed shelter. You aren't guaranteed food. It's all things you really have to really have to work for and fight for. And so when people come out here trying to make it, a lot of them do just kind of fail, which isn't their fault. They aren't guaranteed work. I mean, we're an at-will uh, state, so you can get a job, but you aren't guaranteed severance. You aren't guaranteed hours. They can let you go for any reason at any time. And a lot of people that move out here don't realize that. So uh, Los Angeles 
as far as homelessness goes, we just don't have a lot of protections in place. Housing, uh, the development of housing has been really not stagnant, but um, limited in scope. A lot of buildings that are built have requirements for cars that have to be addressed. They have earthquake standards they have to adhere to. And because of these extra costs, in terms of making a profit or you know, uh, just making it worthwhile to build it all, a lot of places that been, end up being built are luxury in nature, which costs, you know, it ends up driving the cost of housing and rents up as well. So even though we're bringing in new units, it still costs more to do that. And wages, again, aren't guaranteed, haven't increased. So we have people that really kind of move out here and have no other option but to live in their car. And uh, if you're going to be homeless anywhere in the world, you may as well be comfortable if you're forced to live outside. So a lot of people that end up homeless in Los Angeles have no incentive to move back to where they're from. If the climate was bad, if you know their minimum wage was $7 an hour compared to $15 here, there's a lot of reasons to just kind of stay here, hold your ground and you know try and make what you can from it. Well, also, I mean, you know, also, you're also talking about where, I mean, in order to get a job now, you have to have an inter- internet connection, right? And yep. in order to, you know, you have to have an inter- internet connection, you have to have um, the patience to be able to sit on these job boards and and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But also, like, I mean, if you think about the pandemic, I don't, I don't know how old you are, but um, how old are you, first of all, just so we can um, have... I'm 34. Okay. So, do you, you remember... Do you, okay, question. <laughs> do you remember the 2008 crash yes i graduated right as it happened high school or college 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 okay yeah that's right oops that math checks out (laughs) yeah yeah math uh it's 8 11 for me (laughs) so that part of my brain's already gone um (laughs) but no what was i saying um the 2008 crash you know, the 2008 crash happened and pe- the world changed after the, the economy mm-hmm. changed. Okay. The difference between 2008 and right now is I don't hear anybody saying that it's going to get back to normal. In fact, I hear the opposite where 2008 hit. And first of all, I remember people. I remember people not even realizing that 2008 had happened, like that the crash mm-hmm. had actually happened. Right? I distinctly right. remember that. And I also remember people, oh, no, we're going to get back to normal, blah, blah, blah. Okay, what is normal? Is normal 2007? Or is, no, you know, what exactly? That's my thing is, first of all, nobody says, 2021 nobody says we're going to get back to normal right and second what what does that normal look like are are, you know are you going to have internet connections for everything and i i imagine there's a whole lot of people that are just sort of trapped in a situation you know yeah as far as normal i mean normal is relative to where you're at so normal in los angeles we've always had high housing costs. We've always had some homeless population again with Skid Row, but uh, the crash 
I mean, I graduated in the crash, so I felt it because I graduated college and couldn't find a job anywhere. My degree was almost instantly worthless um, once I did graduate. And so looking at where it's at now in terms of the, the world kind of reconfiguring itself, one of the things that we weren't really prepared for across um, all industries is automation, where you we had a, a you know workforce, blue collars, we had laborers, we had people that were designed to do these specialty jobs. And that's what you know they were around for. They, we needed them in America to do these jobs because they had to be here to do it because that's just the way uh, everything was structured. Now with automation, you don't have to have people doing those jobs. You can replace those people with software, with uh, robots, with any form of just automated machinery uh, and protocols. And ideally, that would you know make the world a better place because you don't have to rely on a person to work. That job is taken care of. You don't have to force someone to sit at it and, and deal with it and the job still gets done. So overall, theoretically, things should be better off because we don't have to rely on people working and, and stressing and killing themselves just to for the, for the sake of productivity. Now, with the current situation of so many people uh, not being necessary anymore and Amazon being a driving force in this of just having everything streamlined and, and ready to go, we now, if you haven't seen it, Nomadland uh, is a great film that kind of tackles this, is people really, uh, the working class of the past 10 years, if they survived the crash, they really don't have much and they really are not expected to get anything more and more. It, it, it's really looking like they're just going to be receiving less and less because it's not necessary to, to for the sake of trickle down economics, if you want to call it that, to have money that's at the top go down to the bottom because uh, as far as looking at the economy and looking at the stock market and saying that's the market or the, the benchmark for how things are going, you're always going to have growth because everything you know still happens and continues and cycles on, but you're having this lowest class, this homeless class that's uh, kind of developing, just not even low class or... or uh, mm. Right. You know, lowest class. It, it's literally just like the very bottom of these people aren't working. We don't need them to work. And at the same time, we aren't willing to give them any sort of resources or uh, we don't really have an expectation of them to climb out of it. We always say like, oh, you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, and get a job and learn new skills. But really, just as far as reality goes, we don't really need that anymore. And uh, a lot of people that have grown up with that sentiment aren't letting it go where we don't have to have everybody working but we still have an expectation that everybody has to, and it's, it's counterproductive. It's counterintuitive, but that yeah. seems to be where a lot of people are at. And I even see where, I mean, I talk to people all over the country and I, I hear that same sentiment come out of everybody's mouth one way or the other. They like the ethos of pull yourself up by your bootstraps or, that you can do this or whatever. It's like you have to have certain, not just education, but a certain type of education, right? Mm. It's like yeah. the whole world changed economically within about five or 10 years. And like nobody, I'll give you an example. Social media. <laughs> That's a job now. And it wasn't a job 10 years ago. And you've got colleges offering degrees in it now. But 
can I, as an adult, really sit here and say Facebook is going to be around in five years? Honestly. Honestly. Can, can I do that? I don't know. I don't think so. Right. My, my, my degree was in film and TV and, you know, read 2008. That's right before or right as Twitter was coming around, right as Vine. And now we've hit TikTok and whatever else has gotten to these microcosms of the same concept. And I mean, social media is really just uh, an extension of marketing. But again, like, how is that going to change and evolve? And I think one of the more of an even bigger disruptor of traditional employment in that space would be something like OnlyFans, where creators are able to directly connect with their their fans. Exactly. And I mean, OnlyFans itself is transforming uh, sex services and sex workers because it's, you know, that's that's what the, that industry, you know, including just the people that create sexually explicit content, that's really just an industry that's been kind of stagnant, stagnant since porn hit the internet. And now all of a sudden it just exploded because anybody anywhere was able to do it. And it became socially acceptable. There was a huge stigmatism for pornography up until even I'd say like five years ago. Yeah, well, and that's, that I mean, that's something interesting is that um, a certain age, you know, doesn't, there's no stigma to it anymore. And the question that everybody, that every thinking person that I've ever interacted with has is, okay, this is so new. We honestly don't know what this is going to lead to. <laughs> like, probably nothing good, but we don't know. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you want to go into that sort of corridor, um, I think YouTube uh, and the. Uh, I don't even know where to begin with it, but the, the controversy known as Elsa gate, the conspiracy theory, um, the, the whole, I don't want to say theory. Cause there, there's, there is something there to it, but the whole uh, Elsa gate concept that there's this underlying issue with what people are watching and consuming online, not being filtered and how they are interpreting that and developing socially from that is like you said, unpredictable and we don't know where it's heading. We don't know what it's going to be like. The different stigmatisms are, are dropping and changing, but for the most part, we can hope it'll be better. But a lot of times, especially in the older generations that are maybe like one or two ahead of the current um, bend are kind of like, Hey, this is not, I mean, it, it's been typical for like the past century, like, you know, rock and roll is going to ruin kids. MTV is going to ruin kids. Video games are violent. They're going to ruin kids. Uh, for my generation right now, it's like, Oh, TikTok is ruining kids. And, for us, there is some truth to that because we kind of like see what TikTok offers and kind of question it. Same thing with like Mortal Kombat back in the day. It was like, oh, this is a fighting game. It's brutal. It's going to glorify violence. You know, people are going to be. Um, am I able to swear on this podcast? Yeah, I'm really. I'm not safe for work. Sure. Oh yeah. So I mean, people are going to end up fucked up in the head from this, and it's it's there's some consideration to it. There, there's some truth to it that we don't know what's going to cause it. Uh, and the current thing with like YouTube being unfiltered, and we saw this with um, the last uh, four years of Trump as president, where there's a lot of, they're, they're calling it um, fake news and, and misinformation. There's all this stuff out there that isn't kind of verified or looked at. It's just kind of thrown out there. And the phenomenon of the more you're exposed to something that isn't true, the more you will just accept it just because you see it so often. We don't know where that's going to lead with a lot of other uh 
non-informative, like non-news um, uh, content. And one of the, hilariously enough, one of, I think, the best examples of this of the past 15 years or so would be the the show, the cartoon Caillou, which has this weird, uh, uh, what's that word? It starts with a P, uh, phenomenon. There's this weird phenomenon with Caillou where it's supposed to be a kid's show. It's supposed to teach kids about learning patience and learning uh, to deal with the world around them, but they just emulate what they see and they end up whining more often. They end up being just brats because that's what Caillou is during most of this show. And they learn that they can act like that and things will turn out fine in the end. It's this weird kind of uh, unexpected result from what is supposed to be a, a legitimately nurturing show cartoon for kids that just had this completely adverse effect. All right, let's let's move the conversation back to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you see as? I guess homelessness is a big problem in LA. Um, but what do you see as some of the? First of all, is Los has Los Angeles sort of tra- transitioned to a net uh, migration out city, or is it still uh, mig- a migration in city? Do you think um, it's it's still migration, and I, I think you'll you'll still see people that are moving away towards like Denver, uh, Seattle, Texas was big for a while. Uh, Tampa, I believe, is the the next major market where you you'll see a an exodus of people, but people are still here. I mean, you don't really if you move out here, uh, not knowing how the city works, you'll probably end up moving back. But if you grew up here or if you know what to expect when you're here, you can make it work. Because we, we do have rent control, but it doesn't apply to every building. So you won't necessarily be priced out if you know what to look for and know how to handle it. But we still have you know plenty of um, apartment buildings. We still have plenty of jobs. And once we come around with COVID, a lot of those entertainment and food service jobs and you know bartending, they're, they're going to come back. It just, it's been a matter of a question of when. But one of the... Um, looming crises we're going to have is evictions because we have a lot of people that haven't been paying rent and legally have not been, uh, the courts have been processing evictions. So that's kind of like looming is when our sheriffs can start having to serve these eviction orders and when they can start enforcing them, because that's going to be tens of thousands of people. And that's going to be its own kind of chaotic scenario that's going to exist. But in the meantime, there, there's no reason to think that people aren't going to stop moving here. I mean, people during COVID were still moving here. We had people leaving, going back home, we had people coming out here for the first time. So as far as, you know, influx and all that, it's still going to be a positive people coming to the city year after year. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you said your degree was in film and TV. Um, yep. Were you able to get a job in that or, or nope. what? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Um, my parents were both in post-production. My mom, or yeah, post-production. My mom was in, um, post, my dad was in, uh, satellite broadcasting. Uh, and that was new uh, at the time too. Satellite. I mean, at the time it was new satellite broadcasting. Um, I mean, my dad's been satellite since they started doing satellites. He's been in it for decades. Um, but I, 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 I went to college. I went to CSUN, uh, Cal State University, Northridge, go Matadors. And, uh, it was, you know, over here we have like USC, UCLA, then there's CSUN. There's a few, uh, Valley colleges, a few private colleges, but I focused on film and TV because it's, you know, it's technically a family business 
And I graduated 2008, right as the financial crisis hit, and nobody wanted to pay you to do anything. You could always find an internship, but you could never find, or you couldn't find really anything that was paying minimum wage, if that. I mean, I was looking at making, you know, $7 an hour trying to find that somewhere, and I couldn't even find that. And after a year of trying, I was like, okay, well, I got to start making money one way or another. And I just got into event services and kind of expanded off of that. But no, I've never had a job that I would say was a solid job as being in the industry. Yeah. I mean, you see that now. Um, there's a lot of internships all of a sudden cropping up. There's <laughs> a lot. But yeah. And one thing I've noticed about my city, about Atlanta, is the in the last few years, the uh, the advertising business has moved here i feel like hmm. uh, pretty much or like you see a lot of film gigs a lot of that a lot of ancillary work around movies things like that like the walking dead's out here the, yeah i got a lot of animation studios too uh you're right right uh you got uh marvel marvel's like the <laughs> uh what else i mean just so much um anyway so, um, do you see, so people are still moving to LA. Um, every, every, everybody I used to know for a while, they were talking about the big one. Like, you, <laughs> do you okay. Do you know what I'm saying? When I say the big one, do you know what I mean? Earthquake, yeah. yeah. Um, is that sort of like a, sort of like a thing that people, I mean, every, about? every, everybody, not everybody talks about it, but I mean, it gets brought up a lot. It's mostly, I feel like it's mostly news networks that bring it up because we do have earthquakes. I mean, we have earthquakes here every single day yeah. um, on the Los Angeles subreddit. I mean, it seems like somebody posts like earthquake with a question mark at least once a day and we have to tell them, no, like that was a garbage truck. No, that was the subway. Um, I mean, I was here for, for Northridge back in 94. So I, I experienced what here would have been considered the big one, at least for the past generation. And you know, school is school's done for a week. There's broken glass everywhere. Uh, we had some freeways collapse, some apartment buildings collapsed. But uh, as far as the big one goes, we had we had a nice, um, a nicely sized shake uh, a year, year and a half, two years ago, give or take. Um, that was further out, um, further north, I believe. I forget the name of where it was at, but um, that was like the first significant shake I felt in a long time. But I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like. For me, at least, it wasn't like, oh, like that's scary. I was like laughing. I was like, oh, like finally, like we're, we're having an earthquake. Like this is going to live up to the hype of the big one. And it was it was a gentle rock back and forth. My, my wife uh, was kind of terrified, but I was just there laughing. I was like, oh, like, you know, this is nice. This is this is a reminder that it can still happen. But um, I, I don't really have a fear of like the big one hitting. I just I grew up with, you know, a, a big shake. And uh, I, I've seen like compared to like somewhere around like Japan or the, the, the great, uh, uh, not Indonesian, but the, the bigger earthquake from 2004 oh, or five. Oh yeah. There was a huge earthquake. Uh, yeah. Uh, Indonesia back in time. Yeah. Um, that, that one, and then the, the Tohoku one in, in Japan, the great concept quake, like those were like the, the big ones that had like a yeah. uh, terrible devastating effect here even when we have like major shaking, we're relatively prepared for it. So, I mean, people bring it up. The news always, always sens sensationalizes the concept. 
for me, it's never been something that I'm actually worried about. Yeah. What about, um, okay. So what about, um, what are some of the challenges you think that face LA that you, if you had, if you were like the LA government, (laughs) what would you, uh, what are some of the challenges you would identify and, yeah, I've always, I've always categorized it in, I think there's five categories. I wish I could remember them. Let me see if I can pull them up real fast. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want you to do all my clicking. Um, the, the, the first would be, uh, housing. Housing itself is a huge issue. Um, homelessness and, uh, affordability of housing, buying a house. Those are kind of intertwined. Same thing with, um, uh, transit and traffic over here because we have a metro system that's not the worst in the world, but it's it's very unreliable at times. And we haven't really future-proofed it compared to a place like Japan uh, or Tokyo where like they have a system that is reliable. We don't have a reliable system. We have a good enough system. And it's really just not there to... to it, it's, it's not ready to face the population it needs to to prevent traffic on the freeways because our freeways are always backed up. Um, so I really, I, Metro has been trying to get its, its act together, but it's, it hasn't been too little too late, but it's, it's kind of feels like it's getting to an exponential point where it's getting too little and too late time after time that at some point it will be just not enough. Uh, beyond that, we have corruption, um, the sheriff's department, which is not a city, uh, organization. It's part of the County. They have their own gang and click system. And they, wow! Uh, you, let's dive into that. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, so Los Angeles. There's there's the county of Los Angeles. Uh, you know, the states divided into counties, and then within the county of Los Angeles, there's 88 cities as well as some other unincorporated areas. And the biggest city is the city of Los Angeles. So within the county of Los Angeles, you have the sheriff's department. They handle the jails, they handle the courts, they handle everything going around on the countywide level. Within the city of Los Angeles itself, you have uh, the Los Angeles Police Department, which does day-to-day policing. They patrol the streets, they investigate crimes, they um, are the ones that you know you typically see in the, in the patrol cars. So sheriffs, as an organization, is spread across the entire county, and within each... Uh, like station that they have, you'll have different cliques, different gangs, for lack of a better word, because that's what they are, that are uh, have their own culture. They have their own matching tattoos. They have their own language. They all associate with each other. And uh, the current sheriff, Villanueva, uh, he's been you know asked to disband these gangs and, and do something about it. And he's basically refused. And so... Um, Corruption on, on that level within the sheriffs is its own huge issue because, you know, you have gangs running the sheriff's department. So um, wait, wait, wait. Okay, wait, hang yeah. on. I want to, I want to, because I'm learning here. I, this is the very first time I ever heard this. So hang on. Yep. So you have gangs inside the sheriff's department. Right. They're Do officially these, called clicks, but yeah. Okay. Do these clicks or who okay officially who officially calls them that like who officially like the media the people just what what uh i mean it depends on it depends on uh 
whichever uh, outlet has whatever agenda they have, because you know the sheriff's department themselves call them clicks; they don't call them gangs. But you, I mean, NPR has had uh, local stories over here that have delved into it, and they basically just say like they operate like gangs. They have matching tattoos. They have you know loyalty within their own ranks for each other. And it just depends. I mean, if you want to just, just Google Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, gangs, cliques. Uh, if you want to look up the, the sheriff, he's, his name is Alex Villanueva. He uh, is a relatively new uh, person leading this department. But uh, I, I don't want to give out any misinformation. So I'm just saying you can look into it and, and read about it and oh, go that, from there. Because I'm I don't, don't want to be quoted. Yeah, I'm feeling a future podcast. <laughs> For real. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we have it. Like, there's um, uh, one of the shootings recently, one of the prominent shootings um, uh, yeah. where the sheriffs killed someone. They, It was a kid. He was Latino. I believe he was 18, maybe 17. And allegedly, again, this is all alleged, the group that uh, of sheriffs that encountered this kid actually were known for killing Latinos. Like, that was, like, part of their, like, culture within the clique. And so, um, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to look up, look up, like, look up the Compton executioners, uh, that's one of the, uh, the clicks <laughs> within sheriffs. So wait, wait, wait. I mean, that's, there. that's pretty bold, man. That's pretty bold. These people like, wow. Yeah. It, it just, I'd say just look into that because you have, let's see. Um, there's, <laughs> The Vikings, Reapers, Regulators, Little Devils, Cowboys, 2,000 Boys and 3,000 Boys, Jump Out Boys, Banditos, and Executioners. Those are all the names of these cliques within the Sheriff's Department. Okay. Have you ever... Okay. Dumb East Coast question here. <laughs> Have you ever seen The Shield? <laughs> the show? Uh, I've never watched it, but uh, I know I know of the show. Was it Michael Chiklis? It was Michael Chiklis. Yeah. It was he ran it. He ran like a little gang unit inside of a fictitious police station. Hmm. Um, I'm wondering if that was more documentary than <laughs> people were thinking. Art imitating life or life imitating art? Uh, yeah, one of those. Somewhere on that spectrum. I wonder if maybe people got the idea or if maybe the idea was. Well, there was the Rampart scandal. I mean, the show was. Yeah, about- with Crash, yeah. The Rampart or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we had the Rampart. That was the LAPD uh, Rampart area station where they had, uh, uh, what was it? Cra- the crash program, something against street hoodlums. Yeah, and that was yeah. that was a big thing back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So this, this seems like a, a problem that has been bedeviling Los Angeles for quite a while. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, God. I mean, 2002 was a long time, and the crash was in the 90s, right? Uh, crash, I believe, was late 90s. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, it was right before Fast and Furious, the first one came out, so. Oh, you mean the movie, the movie, right? Not yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, not, not the ATF scandal. Yeah, no, no, sorry. The, the no, actual right. Movie. The movie. Because the, the movie filmed somewhere, somewhat around that area at times. So, like, I always associate those two together. Right, right. Speaking now as somebody who, who lives in a town where a lot of movies get made, um, I identify with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I know where that place is. I remember I that place. Exa- 
Yeah. yeah. It's amazing how many movies you crack open and you're like, what? That's no, that's not a stop eight. That's not a, that's not New York. <laughs> I had that issue. I tried watching um, Bosch, which I hear great things about. I tried watching the first episode and like I was screaming because the guy pulls up to a metro station and parks in the red. And I'm like yelling at the team. He's like, no, you can't park there. That's red. You're going to get towed. You can't do that. And then he takes it like one station. And I was like, why don't you just drive to that other station? Why do you take the train one station away? <laughs> I was just like yelling at my TV because I was like, uh, uh, it was for me, it was unbelievable. I'm sure like anybody watching it, like wouldn't care or notice, but I was screaming. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a funny story to tell you offline uh, around the same, around the same lines. Um, man. So yeah, I'm going to look that up about the, but so okay getting back to like you're the police like you're the the government god and you're saying okay bibbity bobbity no more police scandals uh <laughs> i mean well yeah so like corruption was one um lesd was a, a big part of that sheriffs the other is development because we have issues with um building new housing or building new um homeless services and they just, they go so out of budget. Uh, most recently, there was one where they, they built new uh, homeless units and they ended up costing something like 750000 per unit. And it was, it, you kind of look at that and go like, why didn't you just buy like a fourplex house that's already built and established and have people move in there because it would have cost you the same as opposed to building these, you know, these way overpriced new units. So corruption uh, exists uh, across that. You, the most recent thing. Do you think that was uh, legit or was that like a building falling off a truck, so to say? Uh, I think uh, there was a lot of overhead that shouldn't have existed because there, there's no reason to say like, oh, we built 10 units for homeless housing and it cost us $7 million. Like oh, okay. I, I can't, I can't justify having that few units with a price tag that large because it's not like building like a one, Oh, we built a one bedroom house. It cost 700,000. It's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, we built a, a two bedroom house. It cost us 1.4 million. We're like, okay, that's a little high. Then when you get to like 10 units, not like, you know, separated individual plus and land, it's like, it's 10 homeless units that are supposed to be, I mean, there's supposed to be a, a way to streamline and make this efficient and have it produced and work for the community. And just for that price tag, that doesn't seem to, to make sense to me. Right. Right. I get it. Um, um the more, Another just recent thing for me on that uh, corruption thing for the city of LA, we don't, we, I don't know. I, I don't know what the law is anymore because I've heard so many conflicting things. We weren't supposed to have digital billboards. Like we had some that popped up and they were shut down because they were so distracting. And yet somehow on the South end of downtown at this building called the reef, they managed to construct like the largest digital billboard. I want to say in the state, I don't know if that's true, but it's ridiculously big. And it is so bright. You can see it from like 10, 15 miles away at night because it's so freaking bright. Um, and somehow it got approved. And allegedly the person that uh, approved it got 75000 in uh, campaign funds. And there's, I mean, that's that's the lowest price for something this grotesque and, and noticeable because it is so, so fucking bright. That is crazy to like that's nuts. And also, I mean it that doesn't inspire confidence. It doesn't inspire confidence in the word I want. It's not gonna inspire people to be like, oh okay, uh, 
more for more for thee and not for me, basically. Yeah, I don't. I it's anybody yeah. living within like a like five ten blocks, which there's a lot of uh, apartments downtown that kind of face this thing. It's just nothing but bright lights like throughout the night because this thing is so fucking luminous. Yeah, yeah, I bet that's crazy. Um, like, hmm. So, what do you see the future of LA as? Do you see it as what's the future like? Do you, do you Good or bad? Um, it's. I mean, I feel like it's going to be the same. So, this the city's always kind of had parts of it that are uh, well off, and parts of it that aren't. So, if you go to like Pacific Palisades, it's single family homes, lots of really just rich people that commute into like the West side. And it's, it's completely just untouched pristine. Like I don't think any part of the last year and a half negatively affected it beyond uh, restaurants not being open to serve people because it's such a secluded and secure and serene uh, part of the, the Malibu mountains or Santa Monica mountains or whatever those mountains are. I don't know. It's one of those. <laughs> and then you have parts that are like South central, you know, Watts and uh, places that are kind of disregarded. So the trash has just been piling up to a disgusting amount uh, across a lot of the city. Uh, so as far as the future goes, I think it's hard to predict what the future is going to be right now because of the eviction crisis, because that itself is going to be its own saga that transforms the city there's going to be a lot more protests. There's going to be a lot more unrest because there are going to be so many people directly affected once COVID restrictions are lifted and people are forced out of their homes. And we haven't been doing enough uh, over the past 10, 20 years to develop housing, to accommodate people that even already live here to make it affordable. We don't have the guarantee of you can, have a job, you can make money, you will be okay if you can and are willing to work. We're starting a piloting program, a pilot program right now that involves basic income at a very basic level for a very limited amount of um, uh, residents. But I don't think it's going to be, uh, I mean, it's, it's a nice starting point, but I don't think it's going to be what the city needs to kind of keep its pace. And I mean, we got the Olympics coming here. Um, in the not too distant future. I didn't know that. So, I didn't know the Olympics yeah. were coming. Yeah, twenty uh twenty eight we're gonna have the Olympics. So wow. Twenty twenty eight. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's still the case, but COVID happened, so uh yeah, twenty twenty eight, uh July mm-hmm. and August. So um we got that mm-hmm. coming and thankfully we actually do have the facilities and the infrastructure to already accommodate the Olympics because we've already done it twice uh last time was in the 80s so we already have plenty of venues and it really shouldn't be that we we should actually be able to profit from it um if done properly but uh as far as the future goes we really need to rely on denser housing at major metro areas because we currently don't have that we still have this weird requirement for parking even if something is built next to a subway station and all it does is encourage people that live in these buildings to is to have cars. Like if you don't have the option to have parking, you'll be more inclined to not have a car. But if you have the option of car, a lot of people just kind of just take it up as, okay, we'll have a car. I might as well keep it. So the future I mean, of LA right now. Yeah. The future of LA right now is just 
uh, <laughs> up in the air. Yeah. I think the rioting last, the social unrest last year was kind of just a reminder that we still do expect a lot out of our city. And I don't think, I think we've been putting a lot of band-aids on a lot of cuts and we have some of those cuts just getting bigger and bigger and the band-aids we're putting on it will not hold and some, something's got to give at some point and I just don't know what it's going to be. But I also, yeah. I don't think it's going to be instantaneous. I think it's going to be a gradual decline. Uh, but again, I'm just, I'm waiting for this whole eviction uh, thing to play out. The eviction mess to to basically go away or or whatever. Um, yeah, man. Um, wow. I gotta tell you, um, we haven't had that before. Like, we haven't had this this situation where, you know, as far as it goes in terms of people ending up homeless or being forced out of their homes, it's always typically an individual case scenario. It happens to one person. Every now and then, it happens to like a building that's getting torn down, but people are still paid to to leave like you, you know you don't get nothing if your building gets torn down you get some form of money to make sure you can dr- transition to something better we don't really have yeah. anything in place for something like this for the tens upon thousands tens upon tens of thousands of people that it will affect so yeah that's where yeah. i'm like i i don't know what the city's plan is other than kicking the can down the road right um jesus wow um hmm do you see yourself living in LA or like forever or are you going to move out or I mean I'm I grew up here so like this is all I've ever known. Uh, I'm married now and my <laughs> wife <laughs> my wife is very much um, someone I will follow anywhere that you know we end up going to. So she's got her sights set on Tampa um, which is actually where my dad just completely coincidentally my dad and my mom just retired to. So it's like okay like that that might not end up uh, happening in the future not yeah. too long from now but well i mean if i could stay here forever i would it just it depends on the situation like if i have no reason to stay here i'm not completely attached yeah. to you know, is, is your wife because uh, you were saying like she was uh i guess scared of the earthquake or whatever so is she from la or not no she's she's from the midwest so okay okay yeah yeah i i, I would totally be like i'm i'm like with storms i used to be afraid of storms and then i moved mm. into the the georgia equivalent of the uh tornado alley mm. so now i know what a storm looks like and i know what a right and proper tornado storm looks like right yeah um but earthquakes would terrify me they would just like <laughs> scare the ever-living bejesus out of me for real yeah, I mean, if you're not um, used to them, it really can throw you off your balance. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Well, Jansen, um, let me just hang on while we download the uh, the podcast. But is there anything you want to tell the internet? No, I'm good. <laughs> All right. Good talking with you. I mean, I, I don't have any message beyond just talking about Los Angeles. So. All right, man. Hey, uh, thanks a lot. Hang on. Hang on line with me for a second. We'll do.